State Senate leader Jake Corman is running for governor. The Republican says he will set himself apart from the crowded primary field by emphasizing his ability to break through gridlock and get things done, as he says he has done during his 22 years in state politics. And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for checking the website. And of course, we're signing up for our twice a week newsletter. And you do that at DelawareValleyJournal.com. No question about it. The name Jake Corman is not a mysterious name in Pennsylvania political circles. Uh, After all, he plays a key leadership role for the Republican Party and his dad, was also in the state Senate, and he's now an announced uh, candidate for governor. So Linda Stein, our news director, and I are going to give the senator a good grilling. I hope you're ready, Senator. Uh, I'm ready to go. So I got it. My first question as someone used to run campaigns for living is, how does someone who watched your dad go through the horrors of being a state legislator then choose to be a state? Didn't you learn your lesson as a kid? You would have thought, uh, you know, <laughs> like anything else, you sort of have to get away from your your parents and then uh, come back. Right. Because uh, I wasn't something this is not something I wanted to do growing up. I was a journalism major, believe it or not, and uh, was wanted to be in sports broadcasting. And um, in 1994, uh, my good friend uh, Rick Santorum ran for the United States Senate. And when he won, uh, I sort of got the political bug and I went to work for him. I was a state director in central Pennsylvania. Uh, and that's really where I sort of got my interest in public service uh, uh, and getting involved. And so, you know, I worked for him for a few years. And then when uh, a Senate seat became available in 1998, I ran for it. But uh, like many sons, right, you, you sort of get away from your father and go learn it from somewhere else and then come back to the thing that your father was teaching you all along. I'd like to know what you learned from uh, Senator Santorum. There's an argument that goes like this. If Republicans had embraced Santorum in 20. 20- 14 and his talk about things like trade and the concerns mm-hmm. of blue collar workers, the you know, central Pennsylvania model, if you will, as opposed to Mitt Romney. And I, in full disclosure, I know uh, Senator Romney a bit and he's a nice enough fellow, but he represents kind of a maybe a brand of Republicanism that wasn't of the moment. And the argument is Rick Santorum could have stopped what became the Trump movement where it kind of maybe got a little grand because he was in that lane and Republicans just didn't hear it and they should have listened to Santorum. Is that a, an, a legit think, analysis of where we are? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, you know, he was the blue collar Republican uh, before it was popular. Uh, Santorum was, he voted against NAFTA back in the day. Uh, and he was talking about you know, the need for the Republican Party to embrace uh, uh, the blue collar worker in the workforce. And then they really were Republicans in a lot of ways. Uh, and he just didn't quite have the same megaphone. And of course, in 2016, Donald Trump really you know, took that message and made it a lot louder. And that's what really drove the excitement. But uh, I would agree. I mean, uh, you, know, uh, you know, everyone was sort of scared of Rick in 2014, I guess it was. No, it's 2012. Uh, I screwed up. 2012. 2012. Yeah, you're better at math than I am. Yeah, you nailed 2012. It. And, uh, you know, they thought Romney it was a sort of the conventional candidate. You know, the problem with the Republicans, you know, we nominate people like Mitt Romney and John McCain and Bob Dole, they're good people, great Americans, right? Uh, but they just don't excite people. And if you're going to win a presidential race, you need someone who drives out excitement. And I think uh, Senator Santorum could have done that. But, you know, the Republican Party went a different way. And then, as I said, I think Donald Trump took his message uh, and expanded upon it. And, and that's was led to his success. So I, before Linda jumps in, you just set me up. I have to ask the question then. 
How does Senate Majority Leader Corman excite those votes? Are you the uh, the Trump or Rick Santorum excitement candidate, or are you the Romney, Bob Dole, <laughs> you know, uh, that's a great wow. candidate? I, I, hey, I you guess, set me uh, up, journalism major. This there, is on there you. There you go. Uh, fair enough. Um, I, I like to think I'm the excitement candidate. Uh, I'm someone that uh, has that same message. Uh, someone that believes in putting people first. Uh, someone who believes in in um, in protecting our freedoms. Uh, you know, I was a leader in, in battling against uh, uh, Governor Wolf and a lot of the uh, uh, way he handled the, the uh, shutdowns and, and the pandemic by infringing upon uh, people's freedoms. Uh, I'm the one that wants to create opportunity. Uh, you know, opportunity. Uh, economic security is is the key component of of of, of a family sustaining jobs, a family sustaining communities. Uh, you got to have economic security, uh, you know, if you're going to have a successful community. And so uh, in the way you get those good jobs, blue collar type jobs, is developing good public policy uh, that this governor doesn't want to do. And, and I've led the charge against his policies and, and created better policies that have created jobs uh, in the in this space of energy, uh, which has created those blue collar works. So, um, you know, I, I think I'm right on the issues. Uh, education obviously is important, but and public education is important, but we have to empower parents. Uh, one thing we learned through COVID is parents want to be involved and they should be involved. And that's the best recipe for a student's success is, is parental involvement in their kids' education. Uh, and so empowering parents either at the public school level or empowering parents to pick other types of schools uh, where their kids can succeed is what we should be doing. Um, making sure we have safe streets. Uh, you know, we've, we've you know, seen a tremendous rise in our crime rates in Pennsylvania in the last 18 months. Um, you know, homicide rates way up, not just in our urban settings. Uh, and so we need someone who's going to support our men and women in uniform and, and make sure that we have safe streets so that we can have those opportunities to get a good education, to get good health care, to get good jobs, uh, and to have our freedom. So I'm going to try to put a message out there that's exciting for people. Uh, I'm someone that I think is, has a record of success uh, in that space, which is important, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we're for, it's what we can accomplish. And I think not only have I had a have, I have accomplished some of these things, um, but I, I'm in the best position to accomplish even more as someone who knows how to work with the legislature to get things done. Senator, uh, what did you mean when you were saying uh, that you have helped create good jobs? What are some well, of the we, specifics? Sure. Well, we just got just, great question. So just recently uh, in Luzerne County, uh, because of a tax credit bill that we put through, uh, that Senator Udicek sponsored that I championed through, the governor vetoed it the first time because his progressive friends didn't like it. Uh, we continue to work for it. And now you're seeing a, a company, Macero, uh, coming into the Luzerne County area with a $6 billion investment, uh, which will create about 4,000 temporary construction jobs, blue collar jobs, and then have uh, hundreds of full-time jobs after that. Uh, that's someone who's taking the energy economy, which Pennsylvania can lead on, uh, with all the energy we have here in this state uh, and, and, take, and being creative with our tax codes so that people want to locate in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we're in competition. We're in competition with the rest of the world. We're in competition with the rest of the states. You know, energy is such an important part of Pennsylvania's economy and can be so much more. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, the concerns with the environment and the concerns uh, with some of the things that uh, the progressive movement are pushing, but we still need energy. And if we don't create it in Pennsylvania, it's not going to go away. The energy is just going to be created in West Virginia. It's just going to be created in Ohio and, and places like that. So, you know, Pennsylvania, it, it, with our access to the to the to the population, uh, with cheap energy that we have, we can be a leader in creating those jobs. And that's just one example of a tax credit bill 
that we were able to put together uh, that's going to change uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, an area that needs jobs. Uh, we, you know, we just saw uh, another tax credit bill um, dealing um, in the southeast that's going to create some jobs. Um, so, you know, these are the things you can use your tax code to punish people or you can use your tax code to create investment. And I think we should be creative. Uh, and that's just one example. Uh, Senator, what would you do to help parents be more in charge of their kids' education? A great, great question. Uh, first of all, uh, we ought to be fighting back as a nation, not just a state, as a nation against Washington, D.C. Uh, and the Biden administration uh, setting the FBI out after parents. Uh, who want to be you know, go to school board meetings and have their voices heard. That's the most outrageous thing I think I've ever heard uh, in my entire career, my entire life, uh, that our own country would be would be trying to, to silent voices. Uh, we, ought to be, we ought to be encouraging parents uh, to be involved uh, in their children's education. You know, my wife's a school teacher, uh, and uh, you know, she came from the city school, came to rural Pennsylvania, and she said, you know, one of the biggest changes when she came to Belfont was, you know, when you have parental parent teacher night, you, 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 you got to go on the loudspeaker and tell the parents to go home. Uh, you know, we want parents to be involved, uh, but I'd also make sure that they have involved in picking where their children go to school. Uh, like my kids go to public school. They do very well in public school. Uh, I'm very happy with our public school. We, we follow it very closely, but that's just my kids. The other kids don't have the same um, success in their public schools. And it may not be the public school's fault. It just may be not the right setting for that child. Uh, and so we shouldn't determine where a child goes to school based on their zip code or their economic ability to pick a different school. Uh, we ought to be encouraging charter schools. We ought to be encouraging um, uh, uh, the educational improvement tax credit, which was, uh, was the basis of Senate Bill 1 this year uh, to, to, to increase uh, the amount of scholarships and go out to students to take to different to, to, to a school of their choice. So by empowering parents to either pick where their kids go to school or empowering parents to be more involved in what their school districts are teaching, what the curriculum they're doing, um, is something that I think we should do and encourage, and, and a Corman administration will do just that. Senator, your pitch is that you're, you would be a people's governor. What exactly yeah. do you mean by that? Well, look, you know, I, you know, the first thing, my first job is I'm a husband, uh, and then I'm a parent. Uh, you know, I have a child in college, so I became a real parent this year by paying tuition, right? Uh, I have two kids in, in high school. Um, and so soon, uh, you know, my children, like many children around, you know, the Commonwealth and, and grandchildren, uh, they're going to be picking where they're going to live soon, right? You know, they're going to finish up their education at whatever level they choose, uh, and then they're going to pick where they're going to live. And like every parent, every grandparent, uh, just like myself, um, you know, I'm going to be one that wants my children to pick here uh, so where I can see that their families grow up. And so, um, you know, I'm just like everybody else in this, in this, you know, in the Commonwealth, you know, looking at these decisions and looking at how their children are growing and want to make sure that they have opportunities here in Pennsylvania, uh, opportunities to be successful by either getting a good paying job that they can support their family, uh, that they see that their children can get a good education. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I, I just think that, that that by putting people in charge of that and determining how they can evolve in their communities, how they can shape their communities, uh, is, is what I want to do. I think we've seen over the last 18 months um, a top-down approach from, from Governor Wolf and uh, dealing with this pandemic. And uh, I, that's not me. Uh, I'm a, you know, give the people the ammo. You know, we're not a society that says stay home and the government will figure it out for us. We're a can-do society. We're a, right. what's the challenge? We'll go together and figure this out and we'll, and we'll solve our problems. 
And we just need to trust the people. We need to trust our institutions with the information and then let them go uh, solve the problems. Senator Corman, uh, while we're uh, recording this, and I can't give out more mm-hmm. dis- uh, details because Linda's in the witness relocation program, so I have to keep this <laughs> largely secret. But sure. uh, while we're speaking, the uh, House of Representatives in Washington just passed the $1.75 trillion or more yeah. uh, social spending bill. Only one Democrat yeah. in the House voted against it, uh, Congressman Golden from Maine. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about that vote and what do you think the conversation that's going on in D.C. is telling the voters of Pennsylvania? Do you, do you think that what they're doing is going to help or hurt them as they try to hold on to the governor's mansion next year? Well, I, I think the, the Democrats in D.C. are tone deaf. Um, you know, uh, they, they looked at the results of Virginia and said, well, we're just not doing enough. That's why uh, we lost in Virginia. And, and nothing further from the truth uh, is what happened in Virginia, what happened in New, Jer- in New Jersey. It wasn't that they weren't progressive enough, is that they were too far progressive. Ever since this progressive movement has taken over the Democratic Party, you've seen Republicans do very well at the polls. I mean, even in 2020, when President Trump lost, Republicans won nationwide uh, in a lot of key races where the Democrats outspent Republicans you know, seven, eight to one. I mean, I can just tell you from our own state Senate races and state House races in Pennsylvania, you know, we won every almost every close race that there was. Uh, then you go forward to, to you know, 2021, and you saw, you know, a state which Joe Biden won by a, a good bit that a Republican won in Virginia, uh, a state that no one was even thinking about in New Jersey, Republican almost won, you know, a state Senate seat in, in New Jersey where an incumbent lost. Uh, so you're seeing that, you know, they've gone too far to the left, that the country does not support this progressive movement, that the country does not support this irrational spending, the social spending. You know, they could have got that infrastructure bill done long ago. Uh, if they'd have just taken some of the social re-engineering out of it and, and just focused on infrastructure, you know, roads, bridges, ports, airports, things of that nature, water, sewer, but they didn't do that. And so they are, you know, continuing to, you know, all the polls are showing it, right? All the generic ballots, Republicans nine, 10 points up. Um, and so, you know, if you're Josh Shapiro, you're it's gotta be you know, pulling your hair out thinking, what the heck happened? Uh, you know, the Republicans are gonna win next year. I, I'm confident of that. Uh, if we can put a good candidate up and if we uh, are able to fund the race, which I'm confident I can do both of those things, which is why I'm running. Uh, and you mentioned put a good candidate up and whenever that topic comes up in Republican circles, mm-hmm. it inevitably goes to the role that President Trump might or might not play uh, the, you know, the perception of the President Trump among voters who are non-traditional Republican primary voters, but are going to be necessary to put mm-hmm. the coalition together to win the general. So uh where how, how do you answer the trump question when you get it and if donald trump endorsed in this race would you accept his endorsement well sure I will. uh you know donald trump is obviously uh very popular in pennsylvania did very well one you know first republican to win pennsylvania in, in some time and and it was very close uh, the last time so um you know I, I, I seek all endorsements i seek former presidents former governors uh but most importantly the people of pennsylvania uh, I'm going to put a message out, which I think will be uh, popular uh, in uh, all corners of the Commonwealth, whether you're southeast, southeast, the southwest, northeast, northwest, central Pennsylvania, you know, a message of freedom, a message of opportunity, uh, a message of safe streets. Uh, that's what I'm going to put out there. And hopefully people uh, from the president, former president of the United States to, to the everyday worker on the street will, will appreciate my message and be supportive of it. So uh, we welcome all endorsements and all support. Uh, but uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep our message going uh, to the people of Pennsylvania. Uh, Senator, one thing I was wondering, uh, you had mentioned Governor Wolf and, and his handling of the pandemic. How would you have done things differently if it had been you sure. as uh, Governor Corman for our governor? 
Well, let me be, I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, when, you know, when the governor, and, and let me start by saying, look, I think Governor Wolf, all the, his responses that he made, I think he thought was in the best interest uh, of the Commonwealth. I disagree with many of them, and I'll tell you why, but I, I, I just want to, I don't want to attach, you know, sort of bad motives to the governor. I just think he was, uh, right. uh, just was wrong. Uh, but the specific area where I said at the time he was wrong was when in, in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, he shut down all our healthcare facilities uh, of any elective care because uh, he was afraid that a surge was going to happen of COVID cases and they wouldn't be on the handle. And I said, governor, you know, this is a healthcare crisis. Hospitals are full of very smart people who are experts in the healthcare industry. Not only are you shutting down their revenue source uh, of these elective care issues, but you're shutting down people's opportunity to get care, such as mammogram, uh, such as a hip replacement or something of that nature. So we're talking about real care, not just, you know, cosmetic surgery. We're talking about real care that people need. For example, you know, our majority leader, first woman ever majority leader of the Senate, Kim Ward, who's gone public that she's had breast cancer. Well, guess what she didn't get during the pandemic? You know, she didn't get a mammogram because she couldn't. Um, and now, fortunately, I think her, her situation is in good shape and she's going to be just fine. But how many people didn't get the preventative care because the governor shut it down? And then what happened? We didn't get the surge in the summer. And so all those hospitals sat empty and all those people didn't get care because the governor didn't trust our healthcare facilities to be able to manage their caseload on their own. So then you fast forward to the fall and the winter where we did get somewhat of a surge uh, because the cases went back up, but he didn't shut down the healthcare facilities. And guess what? They handled it. So that's just one example. Uh, the second example was you know, this summer where you know, the governor told the school districts to go out, put your health and safety plans together. He wouldn't interfere. If they wanted to mandate masks, they could. If they, they didn't want to mandate masks, uh, they didn't have to. All the school districts did that, uh, but he didn't like what they did. And so what do he do? He mandated the mask to the Secretary of Health, which she has no authority to do, and that's why I'm in court challenging that. So those are just two examples where the governor, you know, as a parent, we followed our school district, we followed their health and safety plan. We were comfortable allowing our kids to go back to school once we tracked that. But the governor didn't trust the school districts. He didn't trust our healthcare facilities. I will trust the people to make the decisions to put the best interests of our children, best interests of our, our citizens in place. Uh, two quick final questions. One is now that you've had COVID, has it changed yeah. your feeling about the regulation, about public policy? What, what's been the impact of being a guy who had COVID? No, look, uh, I mean, I, I was vaccinated, so I got a very mild case, you know, a couple of days of, of, of cold symptoms. Uh, it, was, it was more being stir crazy. Uh, you know, when you're when you're watching Penn State play football and they're losing, you can turn it off when you're when you don't have COVID. But when you have COVID, <laughs> you can't walk away from the TV set. You know, so that was kind of frustrating. But no, it, it hasn't changed any of my my public policies perception on this. Uh, you know, it, you have to you know you have to trust the people. You know, we're we're a democracy. We're a free society, uh, and to have government make unilateral decisions as this governor did for 18 months is just unacceptable. And the voters showed that when they went to the ballot box last May and voted uh, to, be, to, to curtail his powers, which was an historical vote. So, uh, you know, you have to trust the people in a free society uh, to make the best decisions for themselves. And sometimes they'll make the wrong ones, but that's all part of being in a free society. And finally, are you the Senate president pro tem or Senate president pro tempore? Because I keep getting people <laughs> both ways. And so finally, I'm like, we're going to go to the guy. He's got the job. Which one is it? Uh, that, that, you know, great question. Uh, it's pro tempore. Uh, that is the official title. Pro tem is sort of a shortened version of it. So, and is it uh, true that you make uh, your staff call you Mr. Pro? Can you confirm now, that on the record uh, here for Delaware Valley? <laughs> no, you I, ordered I they, them to call you Mr. Pro. 
they, they normally go with Jake. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Senate President Pro Tem Poor, uh, Jake Corman, thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We appreciate your time. Thank you both. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.